How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. You are listening to Inside the Clubhouse right here on The Score. He's Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel, and uh, Bruce, Bob Nightingale is going to join us at the bottom of the hour with the very latest news from around the league. Bob uh, reporting that with Merrifield unlikely to be traded from the Royals. Um, I want to know what he's heard about Alex Colomay, about Jose Abreu, if that is a name indeed that the White Sox would bandy about out there, and, uh, and who else people are interested in on that White Sox roster. Maybe you and I will get traded. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't player, know. player to be named later? I don't know how many stations there are that want a piece of us, you know? You know, well, the only way to find out is if you get the name out there. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But it, in the meantime, uh, the Whites, I still think the White Sox are going to be active with some of their veterans. And I know there's been a lot of pushback on the Abreu stuff, Matt, uh, because of the fact that he is so important to them and he is important to the uh, young uh, Latin players and even the, uh, the non-Latin players on that team he's also, as a leader. He's also really, really good. Like, yeah. I, I mean, when he, especially with, if he look at his numbers with runners in scoring position. Look at the quality of his at-bats with runners in scoring position. And in big moments, I, just, I trust that dude so much at the plate as For a For how long? At least another year or two. All right. Well, then, if you're... If maybe you were, three. Maybe he needs you as the agent to push this along and find out why the White Sox have not signed him to an extension or why he's refused to sign an extension. Well... We don't know that part of it. He says he wants to be here. Okay, but th- does that mean he wants a five-year deal or a two- or three-year deal? Look, if I were him, I would want to test the market. I just think he's going to be disappointed at what he finds. And I would, if I'm the White Sox, I would comfortably allow him to test the market as long as he knows that the love is there and you want him to come back. I think he will end up circling back and they can work something out. For a first baseman, a right-handed first baseman with power, I mean, he's good. I think he's very good. But that particular commodity is not going to get a huge deal these days. I think from the practical point, do they have a replacement in the system? You know, do they have a young player they would prefer to put at first base? In other words, will Eloy be a first baseman in two years? He made a nice sliding catch in left field in foul territory last night, did Eloy. But that body and and that gate, sure, it seems like a a first baseman waiting to happen. Is that preferable to him being a DH? Or, you know, I mean, he certainly has improved himself defensively. The White Sox have done a great job of getting him in condition, uh, getting him fed properly, uh, sh- showing him what it's going to take to be an everyday player and stay on the field because that was a challenge for him in the past as far as little injuries go and uh, some of the way he went about his nutritional daily uh, habits. So hmm. from all of that, uh, he's a much improved player on and off the field. 
as to where he goes, you know, we don't know for sure. You brought up this idea of several weeks back, Bruce, of uh, Jose Abreu being a guy like Aroldis Chapman who gets traded away at the deadline for prospects for something and then in the offseason comes back and signs a free agent deal right here. We've seen this with a number of different players through the years. If that is a potential goal and you're the White Sox, then you don't want to sign him to anything long-term until after the deadline because you want him to be attractive as a rental. Well, I, I think the practicality of it, as you, you bring up, Matt, is important. The idea that, hey, we don't say no, we, we, don't, we don't have untouchables here. We don't talk about guys that we won't trade. We want to hear what other people have to say. If someone's going to blow us away, we might have to make that deal. So we mm-hmm. don't want to be hypocrites about this. We don't want to miss lead the fan base, the media, they don't care that much about. They don't want to mislead the player, okay, or players. And they don't want the, the idea getting in the player's head that you are above anyone else in the organization. Hmm. You, know, um, you know, and textures are getting in at 6711, rightfully, and reminding us that Andrew Vaughn, the first-round pick, first baseman, might get extremely sure. fast-tracked because sure, he's, sure he can. he's solid enough defensively and he is a legit hitter. And if he shows he can hit, he might get moved very quickly through the system. He might, he might be uh, like uh, Bryant and just spend uh, you know, a, uh, three-quarters of a year in the minor leagues and that's it. But you know, from, from the perspective of is he ready to replace Jose Abreu, that that's something different. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I yeah. mean, I think I think Abreu is a very, very smart, talented hitter who is nothing but a good influence on a lot of young players coming up through that system. When we we know this, when they say it's not about money, it's always <laughs> about money, right? It, they he, they might differ. You know, uh, Abreu and his representative might might say, "We've been loyal for six years. We've been your most productive guy." We've been a face of your organization for everybody. Uh, we're not taking a two-year deal. Uh, we are going to get to uh, pitching inside, as Clint Hurdle and the Pirates uh, like to do in a very specific way. This hour is brought to you by Sharp Vision Modern LASIK on 670 The Score. But let's take a phone call first, Bruce. Okay, let's uh, go out to uh, Northbrook and bring in Duran. Is that what that is? I don't know. Uh, no, my name is Imran. Hi, Imran, Imran we couldn't read it. Thank you, Imran. Hey, you're not the first person. I've been called much worse. <laughs> what you got? You're well, on, sir. All right. So, uh, first of all, Clint Hurdle's got to stop pitching inside to the Cubs hitters. I mean, we got some really good young guys. Hurdle's not a pitcher. If he does it, I'm sorry. If he does it, he's got problems with me. And, yeah, we, oh, we don't want to get to that. But anyways, my point is, guys, I, I don't think that the White Sox should trade away Jose Abreu. I feel like with Luis Robert and a couple of the prospects they have up there, the White Sox can push for a wild card contention. And I think that would be way more rewarding than trading away Jose Abreu, who's playing first base DH, who won't get you, and it was an expiring contract. And at the latter portion of his of his thirty, you know, years of age, uh, I don't think he's going to get you what you're looking for out there in the market. You might get a couple, of, you know, mid level prospects here or there, but you're not going to get what you're going to get out of Jose Abreu and, and calling up the process and just trying for it this year. So some good cogent thoughts. Uh, we appreciate your uh, input. I, I guess, you know, it's important to point out, as he did, that this is only a couple-month buy-in for a team. They're not going to give up their number one prospect moving forward 
for Abreu, but you know, look at the dynamic of uh, the team like Tampa, mm-hmm. who's in a dogfight with the Yankees and the Red Sox to stay there and viable in the playoffs. They've been very good, but now you see Boston on a six-game winning streak. The Yankees refusing to lose, and Tampa's still struggling to score some runs from time to time. Uh, a guy like Abreu could could be a real difference maker for two months on a buy-in for the Tampa Rays. Mm-hmm. It's uh, entirely true and entirely uh, plausible. I don't think it's worthwhile to go chasing a second wild card at this point, especially if it's going to cost you anything or keep you from acquiring anything yeah, of consequence. Yeah, but Tampa has the type of pitching that they feel they can compete with anybody in a short sure. series. Oh, yeah, no. I, yeah. I, 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 I'm not talking from Tampa's perspective. Oh, you're talking about the White Sox? White, White Sox yeah, perspective. The White Sox. Due, res, due respect to the caller, but it's not about a wild card man, game man, this to year. To further your point, there's nine teams in the American League. Nine, yeah, they'd have better records than the White Sox. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, I mean they they have grown and and their record is something to be proud of. The fact that they were a hundred loss team last year, mm-hmm. but nine teams ahead of you, you're not realistically looking at a wild card. Not with that pitching staff right now. Bruce Levine, uh, if you go to Google as I just did and you Google Pirates throw inside often. Because I was trying to find one specific thing I'd seen the other day. I didn't find that. But what I found is stuff from this year, last year, 2014, from Peter Gammons, from many different local markets. The Reds blogs talking about why it happens. Obviously, the Cubs talking about why it happens. And Ray Searage and Clint Hurdle have this reputation, and they have had it around baseball for at least five, six, seven years. Matt, there's nothing wrong with throwing inside. It's where the ball ends up. If it ends up on the shoulders and near the head, that's no good. If you're moving people off the plate, every successful pitcher in baseball uh, from the beginning of the game till now have to establish both sides of the plate. You have to move hitters off. So if it's shoulders up uh, and they can't command their pitches or they're head hunting, that's a problem. Let's listen to uh, let's listen to Anthony Rizzo yesterday as he talked a little bit about uh, how he and Baez and uh, Brian have been getting taken advantage of by people throwing up and in. Where's the balance between owning the inside of the plate and being a team that has a reputation for hitting guys? Well, I mean. It's a great theory. You throw a hobby's head three times and throw a slider down the way, you're going to get him out. So uh, it's scary, and, you know, it's until Major League Baseball steps in and does something, uh, it's, 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 it's a good formula to get guys out. You throw at them and get them scared off the plate and throw down the way. So, How do you guys handle that stuff, knowing how big these games are? Against the team, can kind of can't suspended or Yeah, at some point you have to you have to stand up, and Joe did that, and um, you know it's just it's all ebb and flow of the game. You get hit by a slider inside; it's not they're not it's not intentional. It's the the fastballs up and in that give every hitter across the league uh, you know the right to get angry when it's at the hands or the letters or, you know, towards the neck. So, uh, but it's part of it. That's how the Pirates pitch, uh, and they have success. And then, of course, Matt, uh, I went to talk to Clint Hurdle before the game yesterday and asked him about their philosophy of throwing inside. Well, I think every player has 
spots where they're vulnerable to making outs. Whether it's up, whether it's down, whether it's in, whether it's out. Um, we don't encourage anybody throwing at anybody's head. Never have, never will. Uh, I'm in accordance with anybody that, that, that has those feelings. Absolutely. Um, so that part of it, the game is played on the field. Um, players want to do well when they get out there. Uh, they want to also, I think, represent themselves well in a competitive spirit, as you talked about earlier, without um, causing any type of harm um, to anybody. Uh, moving people off the plate has been around a long time. Um, and there's a point where we went through where we moved people off the plate, we got moved off the plate. Um, so probably there's more exception taken to it today than before. The combination of hitters' offensive approaches sometimes be can, can become a dynamic uh, where their front foot hits when they go to hit the ball, and if a pitch is inside, how far is it really inside? You get some dramatic effects, and then you go back and look where the ball actually was. Sometimes it looks worse than it is, but by no means uh, anybody that gets thrown up in it. I can understand anybody's angst, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's not one of our, our teaching techniques. Um, to shoot, to move the ball up and in it towards people's heads by any means. But his hmm. teaching techniques are, and Searages is, to throw inside. And that's not uncommon. There's nothing wrong with that. The ability for those pitchers to adhere to what's right in the game and not be coming up toward the shoulders and the head, that is uh, their charge. And they haven't, either they've taken advantage of that situation or they haven't they're not uh, proficient enough to follow through with that type of uh, characterization of what they should do when they're out there. Well, there we go. Because, sure, throwing inside goes way back. Don Drysdale taught a whole generation of the next Dodger pitchers how to do it. And at every spring, I've heard Rick Sutcliffe talk about it. He learned it from Drysdale. Everybody. Pedro Martinez used to throw inside an Greg awful Maddox. lot. Uh, Greg Maddox used yeah. to. Sure, absolutely. And it's a... Uh, and just like Rizzo says, um, throw inside and then throw the slider and away, and then they don't get diving. The question is when it gets high. And, and you put it out there just now, Bruce, which is it with these Pirates pitchers? Because clearly they're doing it more than just about any other team in baseball. They have that reputation everywhere. They did it time and time again against the Cubs, the Reds fan base. I mean, like, there's just a lot of teams that have seen it. So I, I think it's easy for Clint Hurdle and Ray Sears to say, oh, just a couple got away from our guys, when internally they might be saying, it's all right, midsection's okay, midsection's all right, Let letters are okay, don't go for the head, but the letters are okay. Whereas a lot of teams might say hip, 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 and they're saying letters, so when it gets away and you're throwing at the letters, then all of a sudden you're hitting David Bodie in the head. Well, they have hitters too, Matt, so uh, you know people aren't going to stand still and not reinforce the fact that they have to back up their own hitters. So if, if their pitchers can't adhere to it, uh, teams like the Reds and the Cubs and the Cardinals, their pitchers are going to throw up and in as well. If You're, you're going to get a purpose pitch from them as well, up by the head or in the back, if uh, those pitchers can't control their pitches. And that's why uh, the Pirates don't mind the idea that it's implanted in the hitter's head that they have to be a little bit wary of what's going on. The, the key is... They have hitters as well, 
they're endangering their own people if they don't adhere to the proper protocol of what throwing inside is. I feel like they're taking advantage of the changing times a little bit, though, here in baseball, because throwing at people for retribution is frowned on culturally more than it used to be. And there are certain managers who feel that way. There are certain pitchers who even feel that way. Like, come on, we can't do this. We just talked to Kyle Hendricks. He knows it's a, yeah. it's a weapon in well, his hand. Your, your own hitters will get in your face if you don't. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't protect Rizzo, if you don't protect if, Bryant, you don't protect Baez, they will get in your face. But I can guarantee you with a team with Hendricks and John Lester and Hamels on it, that has been reinforced, and they'll continue to protect people uh, when they have to because these are pros that know how the game is played. Looking at Rizzo and Baez specifically at the plate, nobody is on top of the plate more than Anthony Rizzo. Right. Nobody. Yeah, and he knows he's going to get hit. Sure. But being hit properly right. is the thing. He will take it off of the shoulder. He wears protection on his arm, correct? Yes. He doesn't wear protection other than a helmet and they don't expect to get hit in the helmet or the neck. You don't see neck protection or upper shoulder protection because they expect to get thrown at there. It's only in the middle area around the, fore, around the bicep and around the elbow that they have the padding because they know standing there, as you pointed out, Matt, he's on top of the plate more than anyone else. He challenges them to uh, move the ball away and he's not afraid of the pitch inside. Now, and when it comes to Baez, the challenge for him has always been the slider low and away, as it is for a ton of right-handed power hitters. And look right. what he's doing this year. All those home runs to the right. opposite field. So he's going to dive. He is diving. Yeah, this is, right. what, this so, is why he's succeeding. He's and, not... and if you listen closely to what Clint Hurdle said, he said, well, if you're going to dive, where does your front foot come down? And are you getting yourself hit rather than being hit? by somebody else. Yeah, he's saying go back and look at the location. When you think one was high and tight, it might not have been because your front foot is coming down. Look, this is the inside baseball at its very best, and we're taking you inside what these people think and how they approach it. It's it's been going on for 150 years. The the point is right now, uh, if you're headhunting, you're going to hear about it. And as Rizzo said, until MLB decides to come down on a team for headhunting, there's nothing they can do except police it themselves. Texter with an interesting point. With the current swing planes, pitchers have to pitch up. This is the natural sequence of events. So when you're going inside, it's natural that you would pitch up and inside because everybody's diving down Mm -hmm. to launch. I don't think it's ever natural that you go up and inside by a player's head. There's nothing natural about it. Away. Away. What is natural, though, is up. Up, like if you're trying to throw inside and you've been uh, just understanding the point, it's like high fastballs have never been more effective. It's up and away, it's up middle, and it's change up down. That's how you get away from the the swinging plane, but not up toward the head. Up, up, and away. Wouldn't you like to fly, Bruce, in my beautiful balloon? I I would if you had one. Uh, Then we can fly. We can fly. We step into the fifth dimension. That would be like the fifth, sixth dimension. (laughs) How many dimensions we got? Seven? Eight? We have a break dimension coming up. Then Bob Nightingale at the bottom of the otter hour to talk about Cubs and White Sox possibilities in deals. A couple phone calls to talk about this, and you can do so right now. 312 644 6767. Text us at 6711. It's inside the clubhouse on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island 
jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse and 670 The Score. Going to check in with Bob Nightingale in a couple of minutes. But first, let's take a phone call as we've been talking about pitching inside and what the Pirates do, how they've been doing it for a long, long time. This is Todd in Gurney, who's on 670 The Score. Good morning, Todd. Hey, good morning. Actually, it's Scott, but no big deal there. Uh, I enjoy your guys' show. It's uh, very entertaining. And I want to say that uh, as a Cub fan, uh, it's a bit embarrassing listening to uh, $41 million Tony whining about – you know, what hitters have been dealing with for the past 100 years as he's standing over the plate, uh, literally. I mean, you know, baseball's a game of strategy. And, uh, you know, all teams do it. They all, I mean, you may have Pittsburgh, who is a little bit more forthcoming in, in implementing that strategy. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Tony must have been raised by his mama and married his mama because he's being a little whiner. Well, he's not afraid. Thing. He's not afraid to stand there. He was pretty, pretty <laughs> much standing up for bias as far as uh, the way that they're throwing at him and Bryant. He's, you know, <clears throat> Rizzo is not afraid. He stands on top of the plate and gets hit more than anybody in baseball. No, he's not afraid. I didn't say he was afraid. I said that he's whining about it as he's standing over the plate. I mean, that's. If yeah, I'm but a he's pitcher, whining for I'm his coming. teammates. So there's, a, there's a little bit of a difference, but I agree with you. But he's whining for his teammates. Uh, the fact is you have to police that yourself. Is there a line, Scott? It's like, it, it, Can you go too far? The bias at bat that Joe ended up getting thrown out, and there yeah. were at least two, if not three, that were high and tight. One he almost got hurt on, then he went back in there, and then he got another one. So, and they did it like not eight or nine times during the course of the series, and that was all before David Bode got hit in the head. So is there a line where it's too much, high and tight? Yeah, I think that the umpires really need to get control over the game. I mean, usually they have a pretty good feel for you know, what the emotions are out on the field, and they can see what the, what the strategies are, and, and they can see if it's a little bit crossing the line, they should actually step in and, and give warnings when it's necessary. But, I mean, to come out in the public and complain about it just because you're not playing well right now, it's kind of ridiculous. I, I, I hear you, Scott. I, thanks for the call. I, I don't you're think welcome. He was, Thank thanks, buddy. I, I don't think he was complaining because they're not playing well. He was asked directly. By the way, the guy who asked him yesterday, I think that was a Pittsburgh writer, right, who yeah, came across the way. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and was, was chasing this he, angle He was writing the, the same story I wrote for 6 7 the score, and that yeah. is, you know, the intricacies of uh, the give and take between uh, moving people off the plate legitimately or throwing at their head. And there, there is a, a finite uh, separation of the two, and it has to be talked about. And these guys don't bring these subjects up themselves. They're asked about it. Right. I, 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 it didn't come across like, like whining to me. Everything was sort of in the right context, uh, if, if you ask me. If someone's thrown at my head and my teammate's head, you're going to hear from me about it. Okay? 670, the score, is where we are. We are going to talk to Bob Nightingale from USA Today, your old friend. Bruce. As we bring uh, Bob Nightingale in, the, the top uh, reporter and columnist for USA Today, for baseball, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Oh, we're, do- we're doing good. Uh, you know, I know it's a little early in California, so Matt and I appreciate you uh, picking up the phone. We're, we we want to we talk trade, and this is our time of year when it comes to trade talk and the Cubs and the White Sox. 
uh, a leadoff hitter for the Cubs and a left-handed pitcher seems to be on their shopping list. Can you tell us uh, what's out there as far as the Merrifield, Sogard, Freddie Galvis uh, type player, and uh, how how difficult will they be to be obtained? Well, certainly Sogard's out there, and so is Galvis. Galvis would be the easiest guy to uh, obtain. Talking to Royals people during the All-Star break, they said Whitfield's not going anywhere. They haven't got an offer for him because people know how cheap the price is. So they're not moving him. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, a Sogard would make sense. And, uh, you know, uh, they, they need to get somebody, you know, a uh, left-handed pitcher, you know, whether it's a starter or reliever. You know, they're, they're out there. There's not a ton of them out there, but there's a few. Yeah, Will Smith is the guy that most people talk about. He was dominant early. He's been hit around a little bit lately. What's your take on the the market for Will? Yeah, Bruce, I think he's the number one guy out there. I, I think the Giants will get more for Will Smith than uh, than any player uh, on the market. You know, unless a Matthew Boyd gets traded. You know, that way because he's got so many years of control. But a uh, a Will Smith is, is a dominant guy. Uh, I don't think the Cubs have enough to get him. I really don't. I mean, he's a guy that you know he can pitch you know pretty much every day for you during the postseason. So a, a viable guy, and they're going to get time for this guy. Yeah, he's uh, and even though he'd be a straight rental, you don't think the Cubs have enough? So I know they've been talking right for a long time here, here Bob. If they're uh, Adbert Alzali, Ian Happ, uh, are are those guys enough to get Will Smith done? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this guy, this guy is so good. The Cubs just don't have that farm system. You know, to get some of these prize guys, and I think that's what's so frustrating for him. So no, that's that's not nearly enough. Uh, I, I think you know the debate is who get, you know do they get more for Baumgartner? Do they get more for Smith? And from what people think, they'll get they'll get more for Smith. Bob uh, Nightingale from USA Today joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here for you every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking Chicago and National Baseball on the Score. Bob, uh, White Sox. Um, now, uh, how do you look at the White Sox? We've seen the young players starting to really develop, the Mancadas, the Andersons, the Jimenez. At this point, how do you look at Jose Abreu and how he fits a free agent in November, kind of been a face of the team over the last six years, although they haven't been competitive? Where do you think that goes as far as keeping Abreu, possibly trading Abreu, and then bringing him back as a free agent. Uh, all that in play as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I mean, the, the danger is if you trade him, you know, good likelihood he doesn't come back. I mean, you remember John Lester, once the, uh, the Red Sox trade him, they thought the same thing. Hmm. The guy realizes, hey, you know what, it's not bad on their side. I can perform away from the place I'm, I'm so used to. So I think if they trade him, he's gone forever. Uh, you know, with the Brayu, I, I really think they want to keep him, but only for, you know, two more years until their new first baseman's, you know, ready to be drafted. So then it's up to Brayu. You know, do you want to come back in a, on a uh, short-term contract or are you looking for you know, another four or five years? If he's looking for another four or five years, and I think you go ahead and trade him. If he's willing to come back for two years, go ahead and keep him. Because there's plenty of teams out there that would love to get him right now. 
You know, but you look around and Mike Moustakis and some of these other power-hitting first base types, you know, although Moustakis can play, obviously, a, a couple different spots. But I don't know what kind of market Abreu is going to find out there for him. Oh, I'm with you. I, I, agree, on, I agree on that. Is that a uh, – I'm not sure if he's going to get a four- or five-year contract uh, uh, either. But he may, he may think that. He may hold off saying, well, you know what? Let me test the free agent market and see if someone's willing to pay it. You know, a, a team like a, uh, a Tampa Bay Rays who can really use them. Uh, hey, hey, Bob, how about Alex Colome? Uh, on the one hand, it, would, it might make sense for the White Sox to keep him. He's under contract for next year. So while they're contending, hold on to a guy who's not afraid of the ninth inning. But uh, do you suspect that they will move him? What's the interest level like? I mean, there'll be plenty of teams out there that, that, that would want the guy. The thing about the White Sox is that I, they really want to make the playoffs next year. I think if they don't make the uh, playoffs in 2020, it'll be a, a, a bitter, bitter disappointment. So I'm not sure they move column A because they, they, you know, they need that type of guy for, uh, for 2020. I guess the fine line, Bob, is, uh, is, there, is there development and use of veterans to bring back young players done now? If you keep column A and you keep Abreu, are you saying, you know, that, well, with the guys we have coming in plus the free agents, we expect to sign uh, over uh, next season, uh, are, are we ready to compete? Knowing that uh, starting pitching is still kind of shaky as far as returning guys like Kopech, eventually Carlos Rodon, and the fact that, you only have one really viable guy in uh, Giolito you can count on right now with Cease still building his resume and Lopez having kind of a down year. Do you have enough starting pitching in your system to say you're going to be a competing team for the next two or three years? Well, I think that's where they you know, go out and hit the trade market and hit the free agent market this, this winter. I think they realize hey, that, that, that time is now to strike the division's more vulnerable than ever, uh, you know, let's go after this thing. So uh, I, I think they plan to be aggressive, just like they, you know, try to be aggressive last winter, uh, you know, by getting Machado. I think they'll be just as aggressive this upcoming winter, too, because they're, you know, they're, they're flush with money. Knowing the way that um, teams are signing their own free agents and not uh, considering trades, you think, uh, you know, a guy like, like Bauer and uh, – Bumgardner will be more attractive than ever going into next season. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I got like Bumgardner is only pitching nationally west. You know, he's not the same guy as he used to be. I'm not sure a guy like that fits in uh, with the White Sox uh, just because it's you know, you know, a different animal pitching in the American League. But certainly a guy like Bauer, you know, who's been you know dominant in American League Central, uh, he would fit. You know, I'm not sure he's the type of guy they want. Uh, you know, a different personality, you know, not well-liked by, by, by a lot of people in the uh, clubhouse and coaching staff, but, you know, at least he's got the track record. I mean, how about a guy like, Garrett, you know, uh, Garrett Cole? We'll see how much it costs, but I, I would think 
that you know, White Sox would be in the running for a guy like that. Yeah, Garrett Cole, I think, is the official dream target for a lot of White Sox fans. Um, last thing for me, Bob, uh, the Nationals have made this crazy charge now just six games back of the Braves, six over 500. I assume they're out of sell mode. Um, are the Indians also out of sell mode now? I mean, you mentioned Bauer, but they're 11 games over 500, six and a half back of the Twins. Uh, the Giants just won eight of ten, but I think they're still in sell mode. You've been talking about them, but how about the Indians and the Nationals? Yeah, no, Nationals are are in buy mode. So you know, hey, that that's a team if they get into the playoffs, they can be as nasty as anybody, and they can uh, create absolute fits. You know, with Scherzer and Strasburg, the way Anibal Sanchez is is pitching, uh, Cleveland, you know, Brad Hand is not going anywhere. So the only guy, and they're in uh, semi buy mode. Uh, the only thing with Bauer is they realize this is would be the height of Bauer's trade value, so they, they would only trade Bauer if they could get pitching return that could help him immediately. So I'm not sure that trade exists, but they they won't trade Bauer just for prospects. What do you look uh, for from the Yankees and the Mets? Uh, obviously, the Mets are going to be in sell mode. They've been a huge disappointment. Will it be? Uh, will Syndergaard uh, be be dealt uh, by hmm. this trade deadline? Uh, Will or or will they they hold on to him for competitive uh, stuff down the line? And uh, will, will the Yankees be the most viable team for a starting pitcher? You know, I think in the Mets, I think they'll, they'll trade uh, Zach Wheeler. You know, since he's a free agent, and then stop there. I don't think they'll trade Syndergaard because they still want to be competitive next year and everything else. So I, I think he's the only you know big chip that's traded. You know, maybe a couple relievers. Uh, you know, the Yankees. You know, let's face it, there, there's no David Price out there. There's no C.C. Sabathia. There's not that one starter that's going to carry a team. So, yeah, they would like to get a starter, you know, whether it's a, uh, a Marcus Stroman or, or something like that. But, you know, the Yankees, they may go the other way and say, let's just really load up on our bullpen and, and make our starters only go three or four innings in the playoff games. And uh, I, w- I would not be shocked to see them add when, you know, one or more two relievers Instead of getting that starter, what about the Red Sox and a bullpen piece? Uh, now that they they got it going and they're in a dogfight in their division, yeah, they got to get some bullpen help. Uh, you know, in the in the Giants, the team everybody's looking at. And besides Will Smith, you got you know Sam Dyson there uh, and, and Tony Watson. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think all those guys will be gone. But yeah, the Red Sox, especially, uh, you know, they got enough starters uh, to go. So I, I think they uh, will just get one bullpen piece max and, you know, take their chances. You know, get in the playoffs, then you still have you know, Price and Price and Purcello and Sale, you know, to go after you. Bob, uh, Matt and I appreciate you getting up early in L.A. Uh, keep, uh, keep us informed. Uh, I know you're on top of everything. So thanks again for joining us in Inside the Clubhouse. We'll see you down the line here. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, All Bill. right. Thanks, Bob. Bob Nightingale, USA Today, does a terrific job of giving you information on the inside of the game and what's uh, happening with trades. And, you know, again, uh, you know, the feel for the White Sox, are are they, if they don't trade Colome or Abreu, do they feel they're that close to, okay, we are who we are, we got great young players coming, you know, uh, we'll go after the free agents in November and add our pieces then. Boy, they have money. Yes, they do. Um, you do have money, but you could also you could make a deal right now. When he's talking about Trevor Bauer, who's got a year 
more uh, under control in addition to this one. The idea of getting Trevor Bauer and having him here for next year while you're going for it and maybe signing him um, because the stuff is incredible. He's a he's an interesting dude. He can be yeah. a, a an awkward dude, but better, uh, better be better be willing to trade some uh, young people that you don't want to trade. Well, you know they've got a proliferation of young arms. They've got a lot of young arms. If they've done some good self scouting, you could uh, you could move a couple. You know, if the Indians are in the mode of uh, okay, we don't care about the second wild card. We're not interested in that then you might see them start making some moves here in the next three weeks. 670, the score is where you are. I have one more name I want to throw at you as a possible Cubs target. I want to know your thoughts on that. We'll do that when we come back. And we're headed up towards the top of the hour when Steve Rosenblum comes in. This is Inside the Clubhouse on 670, the score. Two innings. And this is ground ball to second base. Red Heifel falls down, picks it up, fires the first. The Angels have no hit. The Seattle Mariners. Pretty amazing stuff last night in Anaheim, Bruce Levine. The first home game uh, since the death of Tyler Skaggs and the entire team playing in number 45 jerseys with Skaggs on the back. His mom throws out the first pitch. And she threw the first two innings, right? <laughs> she could have. I know. Did you see her first pitch? Yeah. It was good. Got a good arm. Right in front of the rubber, threw a perfect strike. I mean, she, she raised a pitcher, so I'm sure she's uh, yeah, no, played it, catch it, it with was, him. It was quite a, uh, a dramatic baseball night. You know, a no-hitter combined, you know, two pitchers. But, but imagine the night that you honor Tyler Skaggs you throw a combined no-hitter, and they scored seven runs in the first inning, had 13 hits overall, 7-13. I saw this. July 13th would have been the 28th birthday for Tyler Skaggs, if you're into some weird numerology. The last time there was a combined no-hitter in the state of California was in Oakland against the Angels on 7-13-91. That was the day Tyler Skaggs was born. That's the last combined no-hitter in the state yeah, of California. It, it's, it's great uh, numbers, and it's a, it's a wonderful tribute to be able to uh, do that uh, for your teammate, his family, and uh, how significant it all seemed to be. Yeah, and then at the end, all the players come out and take off their Skaggs jerseys and lay them down. On the mound, uh, that was that was some very very real stuff happening there in Anaheim last night. Yeah, there was their own uh, there was their own field of dreams last night. It was it was sensational. Uh, something else uh, to keep looking at, uh, White Sox wise, uh, they have been a great story. Uh, the improvement they could improve by forty game or by or by twenty games in the win loss column easily this year, and still be as they are today. Uh, nine teams better records than they have, Mm -hmm. you know. So perspective is really good for the White Sox, improvement really good, uh, knowing that they're not going after a second wild card, something to remember here. The Cubs, on the other hand, 44 of their 71 remaining games, Matt, Yes, in their division. Yeah, you know. 44. That's amazing. The last six on the road against Pittsburgh and St. Louis at the end of September. The last 16 of their total games in the division, the last 16, nine, uh, nine and 13, three games with Pittsburgh, three games with Cincinnati, four games with St. Louis at home to end their home regular season. Pittsburgh and St. Louis, the last six on the road. 
13 of their games are against Milwaukee. 13 of their, their remaining division games. games. So they have 13 against Milwaukee, and all those numbers, you said September's going to be insane. The division will have a chance to decide itself. Right. And I, I love that they're when you've got a division with, like this. They're done with Milwaukee on September 8th. Hmm. Then it's mostly Pittsburgh, St. Louis at the end that they're going to have to be dealing with. It should be terrific theater, terrific baseball going down to the end of the year. So here's the name I want to throw at you. He's having an absolutely awful year, but has historically been a decent decent on-base percentage guy. Uh, Starling Castro? Yeah, no thanks. You want to bring back Starling Castro? 272 on-base percentage. It's a 613 OPS this year. Oh, my God. I don't know, I don't know how it's It's fits. brutal. Matt, we have people to thank. We do. Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs joined us. Also, Bob Nightingale, USA Today. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also, write on the Cubs and the Sox every day on 670thescore.com. Matt, I will see you in two weeks. We'll be back here next week on Inside Clubhouse, Inside the Clubhouse at 9 o'clock. Thank you, Bruce. He is Bruce Levine. Uh, I am Matt Spiegel. I'll stick around and uh, do some Saturday suckage with Steve Rosenblum. Thank you to Zach Withers for doing a great job on the board. Rosie's next on 670 The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.